Welcome to Intelligogy with Tracy Browder, where together we will disrupt educational normalcy. I always say I'm excited, but each time it just gets better. Today is the first day in a new series, and it's called Teach Better Tuesday, and I have with me <laughs> the very, very special Ray Heward. Hi, Ray. How are you? Hey, I'm so excited that we are finally kicking this off. We've been talking about it for so long. I'm honored to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here too. I'm gonna to do a little introduction about Ray and she may have to jump in and help me out, but she is currently the Director of Training and Development for the Teach Better team. She has a history of being a middle school math educator and I just love reading and learning about Ray. Uh, she serves on several boards. And interestingly, this is one thing I didn't know that you've been an instructional assistant professor. I mean, you just continue to amaze me. <laughs> you're <laughs> and, so and, sweet. And, not to forget, of course, last but definitely not least, one of the authors of Teach Better. So, Ray, would you like to add anything? Tell me something we may have missed. No, I'm so honored to be here. I actually am still a currently, currently a sixth grade math teacher, so I love kind of being in the classroom full time and being with schools with the Teach Better team, which is wonderful. And I guess I can give a plug. I got a new book coming out in just a few months. So uh, Adam Welcome and I are partnering to publish Teachers Deserve It, which will be here to kick off the new year that we're going to have in August. That's absolutely right. I've been seeing all of that. I'm so excited. I can't wait. So when does it go live again? It's, we don't have an official launch date, but it will be at the end of the summer so that everyone can get ready to kick off their school year with this whole mantra of teachers deserve it. That is going to be amazing. So the reason we're here today, well, first I kind of jumped around a little bit. Let me tell you what Teach Better Tuesday is. It's the brand new format of Intelligogy, which is really designed to continue to connect with listeners on a deeper level, bringing listeners relevant and pertinent information, how we can grow as leaders in the educational field. So that being said, Tuesdays is completely owned by the Teach Better team. So every Tuesday, <laughs> we will have some friends from Teach Better. So that just really gets me excited. And the topic today is um, the revolutionization of education. And I came up with that because, you know, I've just really, really been thinking about where we are right now in COVID-19 and teachers have had to change on a dime with no preparation. So I'd love to hear you talk about that, like how we got where we are and where we're going. So, so let me hear your thoughts on that. Oh, gosh, it's such a wide topic. You know, first, I want to say I'm so happy that the team is going to be involved in this. We have incredible educators, a part of the Teach Better team, who will hopefully make an appearance throughout uh, the episodes. And I'm just thrilled for them to share their unique perspectives as well. But, you know, I think we've really done a massive transition, not only in the sense of like the world making a transition, but also teachers are moving from hopefully going from survival mode to being proactive to what we can do to support our students. I actually just published a blog earlier this morning that had this idea of being reactive and proactive. And no matter where you are in uh, this experience, how you're supporting students, we really need to shift from constantly being reactive to new information and all these different pieces and do what we do best as teachers, just begin being proactive and what we can do to support our students. So I am excited that I think that shift is happening and will continue to happen as the year progresses. 
So speaking of proactivity and, and the fact that kids do deserve it, what do you suggest, what can teachers do to be proactive and really embrace this new era of learning? What ideas and suggestions do you have? You know, uh, we've been talking a lot on this. You know, the Teach Better team does a lot of support for teachers, and this has come up so much this week. I feel like I'm, I'm repeating myself so much, but I think it's important that we have some very honest conversations. And uh, my friend Chad Orshowski, who hopefully will make an appearance on the podcast, kind of laid these out in three questions that we can begin to ask our staff and begin to ask our colleagues. But in my mind, um, the three ideas really centralize around how we're supporting students regardless of if we're in a virtual setting, a physical setting, or a blended setting. And we need to put in supports to make sure that as we transition throughout a multitude of these options, that some things are very consistent for our students. So one element is giving access to the content, no matter where you are, no matter what type of student you have, that you have access. The other element I think is so important is students being able to pace themselves differently and really have mastery be the focus over task completion. And then the third element I think really comes down to feedback. As the educator, how can you provide feedback to students? And if you can put supports in place that not only give all students access to the content, but also give students the grace and the power to own their learning in um, controlling the pacing of their learning, and then, like I said, at the, at the end, be able to provide them feedback as they continue to learn. I think regardless of the setting, we're going to be able to come out victorious. I, I love that. And I love the, the mastery over the, the typical paper-based mm -hmm. testing assessment. I feel like that comes with more like experiential learning, um, inquiry-based learning, just not the normal. There's been a lot of talk about grace over grades. Um, and just meeting kids where they are. And, and one thing I like to really think about too is this whole shift. And, and I think if people embrace the mindset that you just shared, there'll be this huge shift from the talk of filling gaps to just doing good teaching and meeting kids where they are. That filling gaps is such, Stephen Hurley said it best, that deficit type of thinking. If, if we have our minds set on that, then we're not focused on growing kids. Yes, a thousand percent. I couldn't agree more with you, Tracy. I think the more we can focus on providing students whatever they need in a way that then allows them to keep moving forward and keep moving forward, that mastery mindset is going to take them far. And I know just in my classroom specifically, I get to see 156 graders and I love mm -hmm. them to death. But regardless of where I live or any of those elements, everyone comes in in different spots. And so as the educator, I really need to know how to use best practice, use that backwards design, and provide scaffolding for students to meet mastery on whatever concepts I'm introducing. But the reality is, it's just like they're coming in at different points and in different places. They also learn things at different paces. And that is totally dependent on, you know, from their background knowledge and education, but it also comes into like, People have bad days. I mean, stuff happens. And the more grace we can give our students to move at their own pace and just be able to prove that they understand something, however that means for them, uh, the more success we'll have. And I think the trick to this, because I always like to caution people, I think this sounds great, but as the educator, if you don't have the supports in place to manage it, it can be a headache. So the more support, the better. That. Yeah. 
what do you think that support looks like? What do you think the educator needs to be successful in this type of learning environment, coupled with kids coming back with probably layers of trauma and uncertainty? You know, I won't lie to you. Early in my career, um, I really was not somebody who focused much on content. I know I'm supposed to. I'm a math teacher. I'm supposed to love content. But I um, I really loved becoming an educator. I became an educator because I loved the connections we could make to school and the real world. And that was really my focus. And later on in my career, I realized, okay, I'm missing something here. So yes, I can create incredible learning experiences for students, but I also have all these other elements I need to figure out how to incorporate. And so I started looking at, you know, the hot topics out there at the time, like flipped classroom and all these other things. But what I found is that I could run a self-paced classroom, but it required me to pull my hair out because I couldn't keep track of 34 kids doing 34 different things all the time. And I ended up being so stressed because I was housing kind of the student's frustration and my own frustration within me. And I connected um, with a framework. I'm sure there's plenty out there, but the one I really love is the grid method. And what the grid method does is it not only allows you to design rigorous content, but it also allows you the support to manage it. And I think one of my favorite pieces for all your listeners who are thinking about uh, going this direction is the tracking page. I have students um, who constantly update their tracking page to not only communicate what they're doing in their learning, but what they need in their learning. So it's a wonderful space to advocate for their needs. And it's a living and breathing document. That's how we phrase it in our classroom. Everyone gets to touch it. Everyone gets to manipulate it. And it's constantly being updated and adapted. And so this document not only allows me to know exactly in the moment at any point in time what a student is doing, how their learning is going, but also it, it's beautiful because it allows them to update their classmates on what they're doing and how their learning is going. So now you're really not only allowing students to take ownership over their learning, but now they're leaders in the classroom. And isn't that what we want? Wow. Absolutely. Absolutely. So for the listeners, I don't want to misspeak, but I believe it's on the Teach Better website. Is that correct? No, there's so much, yeah, so much stuff on the Teach Better website about a lot of these things, but yeah, they're good supports. Okay. Okay. So, you know, in listening to what you just said, it sounds like one of the biggest key components in this whole revolutionization is, first of all, yeah, we're learning differently, but then at the same time, we're not learning differently. Um, there still comes the piece of teacher collaboration. There still comes the piece of um, good, solid instruction. There's still the piece of empowering students. So that foundation has not changed. You're right. So that being said, on the administrator side of the fence, what do you think? What do you think the supports are? What do you think are the necessary supports for administrators to? help facilitate this change? Because while we just said a lot hasn't changed, there's still a lot that has changed. The way we may go back, are we blended? Are we not? Are we home? So there's still some anxiety. What levels of support do you think administrators need? You know, there's a lot of moving pieces to that. I think right off the bat, administrators need to have um, about three, at least three different strategic plans on how they are going to roll out August. And I only, I, I've had been so many conversations this week of, you know, principals trying to find the right strategic plan that suits them for their situations. And I truly, I was even on an administrative mastermind phone call 
uh, yesterday where I had a, a principal saying that he was creating six different plans. And so I'm like, oh, okay, whatever you're doing, you definitely need a strategic plan on how you're rolling out the year and be able to switch from, you know, a virtual setting to a physical sending or blending and every blended and everything in between. But the biggest thing for me is to provide um, our educators with some supports. I really love, you know, our teachers are already great. We just want to help them be even better. And we're all working to be better every single day. And so as a principal, I think it's important for um, us to consider what are the non-negotiables for our school? What do we really, what's the experience we want our students to have in regardless of the setting? And if we can communicate that to our teachers and ensure that that they are creating those environments regardless of the situation, I think they're going to have more success um, long term because everyone will always be on the same page with how they're envisioning moving forward. You, you just said something that made me want to ask this question, and I've just not pondered this yet. Okay. Do you think school missions will change? You know, school missions are often very vague. Um, I think that the missions might alter slightly. And I think that that it was probably a long time coming. I think most mission statements need to incorporate more whole child SEL support regardless. Um, but I'm hoping that actually this gives us a new lens to evaluate those missions. You know, so many schools have beautiful mission statements that they don't necessarily incorporate into each element of the building. And I wonder if now this will allow us to really go back to what are we trying to accomplish and be able to truly fold that into the work that we're doing in, in even the smallest elements of our classrooms. You know, you're absolutely right. I, I feel like, I hope that we have this open slate ready to really look through a new set of lenses. And the one thing I keep hearing a lot about, and we're, we're, we're living it in real time, is the expansiveness of equity and the lack of equity. So when we start having conversations about what the beginning of a school year looks like, we've got to address the challenges that come with equity and how do we begin to even do that? Well, and it wasn't that a beautiful element, a silver lining that I really saw. It was so empowering as COVID-19 um, really started to affect education and they were closing schools around the country there became such loud voices that were really focused on this inequity gap and, and how it was truly the first thing that had to be talked about because if everything else became everything else was first, it was never going to work because this equity gap is so prevalent. And so if, if there was even a way to say that there was a silver lining in this, I think it brought to light some major gaps we have in education. And while I personally don't know all the ways to solve them, I can say the first step is to stop hiding these gaps and to begin to inform our community. Uh, I do a, a ton with community. I don't want to talk too long on it, but I have 25 different partners, community members that um, are big advocates in my classroom and are you know incorporated into our learning experiences. And the, um, their eyes have been so opened being welcomed into schools. And I think the more we can share about our schools to our community, uh, the more quickly our solution we'll find solutions to our problems. Absolutely. And I think we can't let this, for lack of a better word, we can't let this opportunity go to waste because 
eyes are open, hearts are hurting, people see the inequity, it, it's right in our faces. So if we get so wrapped up in the planning of what does the return look like, and then when we get back, we miss this conversation, we're missing out on an opportunity to really address an issue that has been, I feel like, generations long in the world of education. A thousand percent. And I would even caution listeners right now. I think there were so many voices talking about this idea months ago, three weeks ago. I think it's getting quieter. And I think that's because people feel like they've slowly found, you know, small little solutions that are a little short term. I think it's because the school year is ending slowly but surely in a lot of you know states across the country. And I think that we're going to have it go away. This conversation is going to kind of become quiet uh, come June and July. And I'm fearful of that because when we come back in August, this didn't go away. Like we really have to continue to have these conversations just because they they aren't at the forefront of our minds or, you know, filling our social media feeds doesn't mean they've been solved. And so the more we can have these conversations and be open to inviting problem solvers into those conversations, we really need to to continue those. I agree completely. And, you know, we this I don't know, education, I, it, it's it's kind of like teachers were such work hard horses. We're so passionate. We're so focused on teaching the kids that we're kind of not our own best advocates in a sense. Uh, <laughs> and, You're right, and, 100%. You know, we, we let the policymakers and all of those people kind of drive our change. But during COVID-19, a lot of educators have been speaking up. And you're right, I see the wave kind of leveling out a little bit, but we have to continue the conversation and conversation, I feel like sparks change because it's it's the conversation, it's bringing in the community stakeholders, like you said, and, and then really sitting down at the table and addressing the things that are right in front of us. You know, it, it's funny, in, in the book that's coming out later for Teachers Deserve It, there is a chapter called Teachers Deserve to Have a Voice. And this voice is talking about the very beginning of the chapter about all the ways that not only teachers are silenced, but all these ways that teachers decide that their voice isn't as important or doesn't matter. And we just become problem solvers in our own little bubbles. And the reality is, and we talk a lot about this later in the chapter, is that that's working, but it's not working enough. And we need to not only be problem solvers for our 30 students, for our 150 students, we really need to extend that and truly get to the root of these problems. And the only way to do that is to demand your voice is heard. And some of that is, you know, more extreme, like, um, you know, we have the hashtag red for ed and there's, you know, uh, walkouts and all that. But, but truly, you can right now share the importance of your voice by talking to your friends about your experiences and truly just sharing your story is a beautiful and very easy way to ensure that your voice is heard and your students are advocated for. Absolutely right. Right. I know you remember this and I don't believe I'm about to be this transparent, but moment of vulnerability. When one of our first conversations I shared with you 
this little private background of this little negative voice that was in the back of my head that stopped me from doing so many things. And I will never forget the phrase, but I am determined to empower myself to help others to, to get that negative spot out of their head. And that's the thought process of I'm just a teacher, you know, and we are so much more than that. And that that mindset puts us in a box that we cannot get out of, that we think we're powerless, that we think we don't have a voice. And I love that we keep coming to the table and, and I'm seeing so many more educators connecting on scales like platforms and uh, not like platforms, I'm sorry, on platforms like podcast, um, chats, mastery chat, um, all these different vehicles to really just give educators a voice. Oh, a thousand percent. And Tracy, that that in and of itself is one of the many ways that teachers are really diminishing the value of their voice. And we have to get out of that. And I, I, I'm so proud. I'm so proud of the work you're doing because look at this. You, you started from saying, oh, I just shouldn't. I shouldn't. And nah, I'm just a teacher. And now look, you're publishing incredible content, changing the lives of educators and look, you're just a teacher. It's like unbelievable. You should be so proud. I have loved learning from you throughout your experience growing. And I can only hope that it, it continues from here that I get to continue to learn from you. Well, thank you. And I certainly appreciate your your support. And listeners, that this moment, that's exactly what education is about. It's about teachers helping teachers. It doesn't matter the titles, the accomplishments. At the end of the day, we are all teachers and we're in this together. And, and we have to be transparent and honest and real to help each other take those next steps. So so just thank you. And, and, and listeners, I hope that you are so inspired and ready to look through an open and a different set of lenses to really put this whole experience into perspective. Um, COVID-19 has been rough. There have been challenges, but doesn't that make us more resilient in the end? Yes. I love it. Yes, it does. We are strong. We did get through it. And even though it was a challenge, even though there were so many hurdles in place, we are going to come back stronger. That's the mantra. Come back better every single time. I love it. I love it. Well, Ray, thank you so much for this time that we have had together. Um, Teach Better Tuesday first episode, I think, has been on fire and inspirational. We did it. Thank you. <laughs> so, listeners, our time has come to a close, and that's all we have time for today. So we'd like to thank you for listening to Intelligogy, where together we will disrupt educational normalcy. Until next time. Thanks again, Ray. Thank you. Thank you.